Welcome back to The Secret Runner, a weekly podcast in which I'll be talking to an international Ironman competitor, my secret runner, to get training tips and coaching advice for everyday runners like myself to reach their next personal best. This week is our Olympic follow-up special. We'll be talking about dealing with self-doubt, coping with disaster and feeling inspired. So let's get to it. Hello Secret Runner. Hello Pete, how are you doing? I'm doing good. It's, uh, it's nice to be back on a schedule again. Yeah, good, good. So last week when we recorded, we were recording in the middle of the Olympics. And, and at that point, I hadn't actually watched too much of it. But over the last week, I've had a bit more time and I've been yeah thoroughly involved in watching everything in the Olympics. And now we find ourselves a couple of days after the closing ceremony. And I don't know about you, but after the Olympics and big sporting events, I always feel like a bit of a sense of uh, like reflection and almost loss because I get so excited and enjoy them so much that when it's all over it, I don't know, it's like when you have a really good night out with your friends and it's all over and you kind of want to go back to it. This week, we thought we'd have a bit of a chat about the Olympics. Yes, I guess this would be a nice way to help ease you out of your post-Olympic crash then. One thing that I've noticed this year is we don't have a TV licence, so we do everything on catch-up. And my wife is very much into the Olympics, particularly the gymnastics. So I had to find a way for her to watch it without a TV licence, so we, we got a subscription thing. A side effect to that, and possibly a negative one, is that I've not been quite so involved in the hype and people have said, did you watch the Taekwondo? Because, you know, I do Taekwondo. And I'm like, not yet, but I will do it. It's on catch-up. So one thing you do miss is like that moment when someone will go up to you and go, did you watch the triathlon? You lose that initial excitement. Yeah, it was great, blah, blah, blah. You can go off. But no, um, my wife's watched loads of it and and it's fun because when I walk in the room, she gets really excited and starts talking about it and then I try and catch up with what she's doing there. So so it's great that I can go back and watch it, but I've definitely missed that initial hype. As always, there's so many uh, stories and news bites, big ones, serious ones, funny ones, comedy ones, tragic ones. There's so much out there and I probably missed loads of it as well. But I've picked out a few things that I think are quite interesting and probably worth talking about. And more more just people that I'm idolising, to be honest. So the first person that I wouldn't mind talking about is Alex Yee. Now, he's a triathlete and he came silver for Britain. And I actually met Alex Yee a long time ago at an event in Avier in Spain at a World Championships. And I met him just walking past him on a bridge and he was hanging out with one of his mates. And um, he just won. I think I'd just done my race. And he was just dicking about like you would as a kid at a sports club. He was just having fun like that. And he was young at the time then. He's young now, 23 now. But anyways, he was great then. I said like, well done to him and that. And he was really nice and polite and everything. But something that's come out since, there's been a couple of articles about him talking about having sort of like self-worth issues and what seems like imposter syndrome, like he didn't feel like he was worthy of being there. To feel that way, having come second in the Olympics, in one of the biggest triathlon races there is, it sounds like a really strange thing. But I also think it's something that we can all relate to. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, It's something I get with um, software development, 
even if you're just talking to someone or you've got a question about something, I'm worried that if I ask the question, it will reveal that I'm actually a complete fraud. I don't know what I'm talking about and I shouldn't, and I need to go back and relearn everything from the beginning. Yeah. And which is silly. But yeah, there's a bit of that. And you, sometimes you're just scared to even ask a question to get help. I got this. This is pre-Black Belt. My Black Belt grains I really enjoyed. They're hard, but I, I felt happy at them. But my last Colour Belt grading is done very differently. And uh, you get asked by Master Gao in our gradings. He asks you questions about what you're doing. And I basically went up and revealed that I had self-doubt issues and stuff. And I just got told off by my instructor and Master Gao at the time for doubting myself. Because I was in that place I'd worked my way up to be there. And when I basically said in front of the chairman of the organisation, oh yeah, I'm not particularly confident, you know, there's other people that are better than me. He just gave me quite a talking down and really reinforced the point, you've made it here because of everything you've done in the past. You need to be confident with yourself and yeah an an olympian's got to have qualified to be there they've got to have done really well to get there but all that can disappear just with a moment of self-doubt yeah absolutely no matter how big the stakes are whether it's something fairly mundane in life or whether it's an olympic title everyone's had that feeling at some point and for me one of the reasons why i found this story so interesting was because it does it does remind you that these people are also just normal human beings and and there were, we saw a lot of that in the olympics this year what with um uh, simone biles uh in the gymnastics yep. and sort of like the mental health issues there yeah i didn't look too much into that to be honest i i heard all the headlines and everything but i don't know any details about it i'll probably read about it at some point but again uh, someone who's hugely popular and who you think is basically untouchable and and it just goes to show that that everyone feels those pressures the gymnastics is um one of the things i've watched the most of and i uh, i remember watching simone biles and jay Carry Jay Carey as well and they both do insane amazing things like for those few seconds this was the vault when they run up and they're sprinting like insanely quick then they they cartwheel they tumble they flip they do all this stuff there's no room for error because you'll just crash into the the vault and you know snap things they're superhuman when they're doing so I find the gym especially the the bars as well the way they flip and go through the air it's like watching a marvel movie just for like five seconds as they're doing it yeah with simone and jay Carey, after they've they've done one of them and it didn't go quite as well as they wanted and then they take so long to psych themselves back up before they do their second attempt yeah they're just utterly crushed inside and it's such a short amount of time to perform but then you know when anyone takes a hit is really clearly disappointed in what they've done. They've wobbled when they've landed or slipped off a bar and then got back on it or fallen over whilst running or come off your bike while cycling, whatever it is. If you can then recompose yourself and then get back on or get back up or whatever and carry on, I always find that so impressive, especially with the gymnasts because it's such a performance piece. They flick their arms up in the air, do that cheeky grin like, (laughs) and then they go and do it. And it's like such an amazing physical feat and it's over like five seconds later. Yeah. But beforehand for like 30 seconds, which must feel like a lifetime to them, they just look like they don't want to be there. And then they just somehow push it out of the way and then, then do something less than 1% of the population can do, probably even smaller than that. 
you just wish you could actually hear what those internal battles are that they're dealing with at that time. Yeah. Even though it'd be incredibly personal. And then, and then, so for an, another character for me that um, crops up again that I think is worth talking about is Eluid Kipchoge. Don't know that, that name at all. I haven't looked that up. Okay, well, I'll tell you what you will know about him. He was the guy who broke the two-hour marathon barrier. Right, okay. Breaking two documentary and things like that. So he was the first person to go under two hours for the marathon. And he won in Tokyo. And it's not that that I want to talk about. It's actually, again, it's, I guess, more to do with the mind side of things. So he's actually, he's a philosopher. So he calls himself the running philosopher. And I heard him even described as like a Zen uh, Zen master. And he is someone that I definitely want to do some more reading about. Bits that I have seen on him. He lives such a simple lifestyle. And the other part of his philosophy, which is so interesting for a runner, you think running, you think individual sport. There's always a lot of selfishness there. In any sport, especially at that level, you're just trying to think about yourself and think about how you can make yourself faster. Whereas his whole philosophy with running is that 1% of a team will always be 100% of yourself. So basically, he's saying that a team, if you could just take 1% of a team, it will always be far better than 100% of one individual. Oh, I see what you mean. Sure. And and so he has, I don't know if you want to call it a camp, a commune, an academy where he runs and he has lots and lots and lots of other runners there. And he trains like them. He eats like them. They all do it together. In some of the videos I've seen, he's just doing... When he's not running, he's doing just normal mundane tasks, sweeping the driveway, cleaning. And it's just, he gives off the feeling of like this Zen master that just has it all figured out. Sounds like he's content with where he is. And I guess that helps remove stress and and worry and everything else from your life. So you're you're left just to focus on exactly what you want to focus on without your mind being overpopulated by unnecessary worry and faff and social media and too many news articles and well it's it's interesting because i think he believes that running is a big part of that or antidote to all of that and i think that's part of his philosophy that he's trying to push is that how running can help everyone in the world to get rid of all of that faff and that stress and he's not the only one who has that sort of frame of mind. I, I absolutely, some of my most calm moments might are when I'm running and even when I'm running incredibly hard as well. And the Monk's Mile in Battersea Park, have you heard of that? No. There's like a Buddhist temple statue in Battersea Park and around it there's a path and it measures at one mile and the Buddhist monk who sort of like had it all installed was a big advocate for running and running and meditation and running for mindfulness. So it's not something new, but it's something that maybe might gain a bit more popularity, which I think can only be a good thing. A slight tangent, but, you know, still related. You're going back to, like, mindfulness and, and being zen, and I just finished a book called Watch My Back by Jeff Thompson, who's um, he's like a former bouncer but a karate instructor, and a lot of the books about his violent career as a doorman. 
But towards the end of the book, he he's talking uh, in a much much like more mindful and, and philosophical way, I suppose. One of the things he says is that adrenaline builds up. Whatever you're doing, you get this build up of adrenaline, and it's it's that whole fight or flight thing, that natural fight or flight thing. But for us, a lot of the time, this adrenaline builds up. So before you're doing a race or the vault or anything like that, you're going to get that adrenaline release. And if you get to run, then you're you're physically releasing the adrenaline. It you know it makes you physically quicker and stronger. But in a lot of modern situations, having a an interview or speaking to your boss or going out during COVID, all these things can release adrenaline into your system. And for a lot of people, without a situation in which you can choose fight or flight, if you're running regularly, then then that's a way of burning off the adrenaline in the system. But going back to what you're saying about running is a is an antidote to a lot of stuff. It's just going to relieve people of stress. Just finding some physical activity to do where you can just go for a run and detach from the world. And all that everyday adrenaline that's built up in like micro doses, running is a really good way of just burning it off so you can like return your body to a much calmer state. Because I get like that. I get stressed about the kids and work and just organising life. And going for a run doing Taekwondo helps massively with it. But I don't do it enough. (laughs) I'm always a bit pumped and I should be running more. I should try and do more of it to burn more off. Interesting. I might have to get that book off of you say so, yeah the olympics is um great as an entertainment and spectator sport but it's all the other stuff that comes with it like everyone like coming together and watching it at the same time and talking about it and feeling inspired by people and just amazed by the feats that people pull off you know some of the things that people do it's just just amazing Obviously, there's the obvious things that you could comment on this year about there not being any crowds. And yeah, that does have an effect on it. But at the same time, watching from over here, it's still been incredibly inspirational. And I think that's what it always comes down to with the Olympics. There's so many people that become inspired off the back of it. So I just think it has an incredible effect the world over. Okay, so this week's question from the audience came from a colleague of mine. So regarding Georgia Taylor-Brown's Olympic triathlon puncture, uh, how would you handle that situation? So how would you handle getting a puncture while cycling during competition? I think the key thing is, above all else, just stay calm. You can't change anything at that point, so there's no point dwelling on the whole, I've got bad luck, this, that and the other. It's just about staying calm. Then the next thing I would say is I always plan for a puncture in my race strategy. I figure out exactly what I will do in the situation that I get a puncture. So when that actually happens, I already know what I'm going to do rather than going, oh, geez, I've got a puncture. God, what do I need to do first? Oh, right, get the wheel off. Oh, where's the tyre levers? Oh, God, where's the canisters? Oh, no, I need a new fresh inner tube. I have it all planned out. So when it actually happens, it stay calm and follow the procedure that you already thought about. So that would be for me. In my races, you have to carry your own supplies. They do have roaming mechanical help on the backs of some motorbikes. 
but you wouldn't want to rely on those because of who knows where they could be out on the course, especially if the course is 180 kilometers long. So you certainly wouldn't want to rely on them. In the off chance that one did come your way, you might be able to just grab a wheel off them. If not, yeah, might be able to give you a hand if they're the in-race mechanical help. But otherwise, yeah, just plan for it happening in your race strategy so that when it happens, you've already got a procedure or a process that you know that you're going to follow. But it would be different for other people. So like for Georgia Taylor-Brown, they do have wheel stations where they'll already have spare wheels out on the course. Now, I can't remember what the Olympic uh, circuit was. I think it was um, three times 10K laps or it might have been eight times 5K laps. So you know you're not going to have to ride too far to get back to that tent where you know your spare wheels are. Again, depending on the technology that you're riding on, we could go so deep into this. You have clincher tyres, which is what I ride. Now, clinchers are kind of probably the tyre that you're most familiar with that you can just yank off and then stick a new inner tube in. Right. Now, I ride those because of the races that I do. I want to be able to rip a new, rip an inner tube out and stick a new one in ASAP without too much bother because it's a possibility that I might get a puncture. You have tubeless tyres and then you have tubular tyres as well. Tubular tyres, you kind of stitch them and glue them onto the wheel rim. So they're less likely to puncture, but if they do you're a bit buggered because you got theoretically you need to glue and stitch them back on. On the other side of that, you can ride like a tubular tyre flat better than you can ride a clincher flat. So if Georgia Taylor-Brown was riding a tubular, she could ride on that flat to get back to that tent where she can swap her wheel over more. And then tubeless is the same. I think tubeless tyres, they don't have an inner tube in them and they have a sealant. Like a car tyre. Yeah, so if you get a puncture, it seals the t- it seals the puncture. You might lose some air pressure, but you're not going to have to stop and change. So I don't know what technology she was on. And all of those things, that's why you need to put it into your race strategy beforehand. Because depending on what technology you're riding and what, what mechanical help there is, that's all going to affect it. So... What that all comes back down to is, yeah, make sure that you've got a process for it happening before it happens and just remain calm. It's not a problem. It's just your race has taken a slightly different route. At the end of the day, you've still got to get to that finish line. So positive. You're always so positive. It's great. (laughs) The way you phrase it is, you're going to get a puncture at some point. It's fine. Just deal with it. Carry on. Also, you said she dropped down from fifth and made herself back up to second place. Yeah, so I think she was in that front pack. I think she went down to like fifth coming in off the bike because of uh, because of the puncture and she ran herself back into second place. And so this is, again, all part of what you need to think about in your race strategy. It's not just about how you're going to deal with the physical changing of the puncture or the wheel. It's what you're going to do after you've changed it because you're going to get a rush of adrenaline and so the natural thing to do would be to jump back on the bike and smash the pedals, get onto the run, and at some point run out of gas. So again, it's 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 not just about remaining calm whilst you deal with the actual mechanical failure. It's remaining calm and 
then following your race strategy thereon. So she probably like maybe it was to maintain the pace back into the all the way back into transition two, and then coming out on the run, checking the legs, seeing how she feels, and then gradually ease the pace, feeling good, then start to ramp it up, obviously, and then really emptying the tank as you get towards home. So I've been in a position in a race where I got a penalty. And after that penalty, I really smashed the pedals after that. Actually, no, I, I, I smashed the pedals before I got to the penalty box. I got the penalty and you have to pull into a penalty box to stop for five minutes. And so I knew that I was going to have to serve this penalty. Uh, so I started just streaming ahead of everyone to try and get some ground because I knew that I was then going to get a good five minutes rest. Oh, right. Making the most of it again. Yeah, I'm still not sure whether I did the right thing or the wrong thing there. I had a bad race, but I'm not sure that it was purely down to just that decision. It may not have helped, but then again, that wasn't necessarily a bad idea because of the position I found myself in, knowing that I was going to have to serve the penalty and knowing I was going to get five minutes of solid recovery. There's a lot to consider, but if you if you really do sit down and do a, a good race strategy then you should kind of cover those things off. And if you don't cover something, well, then that's where the real rawness of the sport comes into it and you're making decisions and it's all about your on-the-fly on the problem-solving, which is exciting. And I suppose if you haven't planned, I guess you want to still stay calm and make some kind of decision, like you said, with your penalty. And even if it wasn't your best one, the worst thing's going to be to not decide on anything, be paralysed with indecision and you'll lose more time doing that. So I suppose, again, stay calm. And if you can't work out what to do, just pick one of them and go with it. Yeah, absolutely. You raise a really good point there. Commit to the decision that you do make. 100% commit to it. Uh, otherwise, yeah, you'll flip-flop and you'll wind up getting the worst of all the decisions that you could have made. And then at the end of it, then if nothing else, you come away having learned something. If you don't learn more from losing than you do from winning, then you're definitely doing something wrong. So, Pete, your training plan to becoming an Olympian. (laughs) Um, What's it been like this week? I a bit delayed last week, so sort of... I didn't want to let that session slide. I, I almost missed one, and it's the first time I've done two things sort of back to back. But it's it was fine. Did my um, my MEFO hills session yesterday, and they're hard. I think the warm up running to the hill there was a bit of like dread building up in me because it's the first thing that I've done on this plan that's like physically and mentally difficult at the same time. I suppose. Because none of it's easy, it's all running, but a lot of it I've taken and enjoyed doing it. Stuff like drills, like the stride drills, or running up steps and shorter bursts, it's physically hard, but it doesn't take long, so it's not as mentally enduring. So, like, it's always been sort of one or the other, I suppose. But this is the first thing, it's five minutes up the hill, and that's enough time to really notice that you're doing it. And it's also not a perfectly flat hill, because they don't exist, so it starts off gentle, gets steep, and then curves off at the top which I quite enjoy because you sort of work into it and then you get a bit and it's like hitting a wall. It, it's quite steep. But then the last third of the hill sort of eases off again so I can and put more into it. So it's hard work, but it's so good when you finish it. In fact, when I turn around and do my recovery jog down the hill, 
that's almost the hardest bit because I'm like, right, let's do it again. Let's get down the hill <laughs> and and smack because it's going up the hill is the first thing you've given me in zones four five. So despite it being the hardest part, it's also the thing where I'm full on adrenaline hitting. I mean, the stride drills are only twenty seconds of pushing hard. That they're probably in the same heart rate zones, but it's twenty seconds and then a walk back and twenty. So this is a the first thing that feels both physically and mentally meaty at the same time so it's good I'm enjoying the step up and again it, I said it before it's harder to like get going now to put my shoes on and get out the door and I often sort of take a couple of extra minutes to leave and then I go and I do it I love it when I'm there like really really get into it and it makes that R&R week seem like a prize and also yes. the thing like last time I was excited by the TT but I'm so excited about the next one the R and R week, like my legs are like ready for it, and I'm like, just another week, and you can have that, that rest. But then I'm just chuffed at like the idea of going out and running hard for that half hour. That's like, it's it's the carrot at the end of the string itself is just doing the TT, not even the forty five or doing the ten k. Or that's sort of almost gone out Good. of my mind, and it's just like you said, don't don't aim for a target, aim to always be better. And my always try and be better comes every four weeks. Yes. And I'm loving it. So it's harder between, which makes it more rewarding when you get to the R&R week. You genuinely enjoy the little bit of rest and then the TT. It's only my third one I've ever done coming up, but I'm excited by it. And I know I'll be crushed if I don't shave any more time off, but I know I shouldn't be. Like, it's just keep going. It's a progressive thing. And I, and I know the graph you plot, it won't always go up. It has to average out a, a trend. Yeah. But no, overall, enjoying it. That's exciting, man. And and that goes way back to when we first started this podcast. What I said about it like was, yeah, we had that long goal in the distance. But like, in order to get there, you have to put that out of your head. And you have to take each week as it comes, each training session as it comes, each even each interval as it comes. Like, you have to be there in the moment. You have to be there now. And each bit of it, you have to be present for. And so forget about the end of the training session just think about the next interval and then in doing that you're you'll go from one step to another and like you say you find yourself at your rest week which you enjoy and then you're ready and charged ready for your tt so that's great that's all really good to hear there's one small thing you said there about like it taking you a little bit longer to get your shoes on and get out there i know that feeling 100 percent. i think the only thing that i've got to say about that is the fact that you've identified that is a positive thing because the way I try to deal with that is if I catch myself procrastinating, that's the biggest hurdle to overcome because as soon as you identify it and you know you're doing it, that's the point where you go, oh, just stop being a bloody idiot and just go. Just get out there at that point. Nip it in the bud and just go. Keep identifying that if, if you're doing it and just put an end to it. Uh, which is easier said than done. Yeah, absolutely. The hardest thing is starting. Once you've been out there for five seconds, that all just fades away. And that's like a race as well. If you're nervous before a race, you might get nervous for weeks before, you might get nervous just for five minutes before, but as soon as that race starts, it's gone and within the first five seconds. It takes me more than five seconds, but yes, I do know what you mean. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, once, once I've broken into my stride and I'm running... Once that inertia is behind you, it's like, right, we're here now for X amount of time. Make the most of it. That One other thing I put at the end of my notes, 
and this is probably partly fueled by adrenaline when I when I got back and I was like maybe I should compete maybe I should look at something maybe I should try harder to like maybe I should try maybe I should think in the future whether it's running or taekwondo or something and I should compete again and I started googling like like what's the quickest 10k time not realistically thinking I could do it but like what would I have to be doing to even do like a county like competition thing then all the times come up and they're insane like 28 minutes or 25 or some disgustingly low times and it's like no no forget that I'm never I'm never gonna get anywhere close to that no man don't let that put you off though don't I'm intrigued by this because like first of all just considering that and you saying maybe it was because of the adrenaline when you got back man that's where all the dreams should come from and that's where it should always start out it doesn't matter if it was just like a small chemical reaction in your body at the time let that happen and then follow it because that's that's the only reason I've found myself where I am I just thought well maybe I could do this maybe I could do this and like we've discussed in the past it's like it leads on to one thing but at the same time I always had in the back of my mind that I wanted to win a championship or compete for our country so yeah what I would say is that yeah okay maybe you are a long way of getting a 10k world record (laughs) but 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 don't stop looking yeah, no, I never, I never realistically thought that, but I was like, what sort of time is, is competitive? And even if I just did like something in Bristol or you know wherever, and then I saw those and like, ah, oh, it's got like, no. But it's the adrenaline, and um, but you're right in what you said because when we'd get off our phone calls, just me and you chatting about me getting better at running, it was the adrenaline after the excitement of talking to you, like, oh, that's a great idea. I'm going to go out and I'm going to run. It's going to be better. And then I'll, and then it was this podcast came out of those post phone call adrenaline filled excitement sessions. And I was like, let's do a podcast about our phone calls. And true. Yeah. So you're right. Yeah. The adrenaline stuff is a good is a good thing. Well, I mean, I have that all the time when you say about competing in something or Googling it, because I. Obviously, I do what I'm doing, but then, like last year, when I ran across Switzerland, I did that in seven days for the route that I took. And immediately, as soon as I got back, I was like, that was really good. That pushed me to my limits. I didn't know if I was going to be able to do that. It was great fun. But the next place I went was, how quick has someone done that? Now, I haven't been able to find what the quickest time for that route is, but I think it's around like 75 hours something like that and I did it in seven days but immediately my mind goes to ah yeah okay so maybe I just wouldn't sleep and 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 you start to put it together now I wouldn't be thinking that had I not just run across it in seven days like if I just googled how how quickly has someone done it and they and it says 75 hours I'd be like oh god not doing that but yeah that's again like taking biting chunks out of it you're you're on the way like you're doing you've entered some 5k events so that that's your first bite of the apple and then beyond that who knows where it will take you it doesn't have to be faster it can be longer it can be harder it can be higher do you know what i mean yeah yeah i'm I'm excited one thing at a time but if it was me i'd also have you doing longer stuff in the future that has started to cross my mind yeah like maybe i should do a marathon maybe just once it's a lot of time i've got such a busy life and that's what pushed me down from half marathons to 10k it's like it takes half the time 
I'm not being lazy, it's just I'm more likely to be able to fit in. But whatever I do, I always find time to do it. After this, it's not the end. And I don't think I'll just do 10Ks. I think, like you said, I'll either want to go longer or faster or, or maybe start cycling as well. Knowing your frame of mind, I think you've got the right mentality for things like ultra distances. I'm not <laughs> saying that you should go and do that, but I think you would find it interesting like the depths that you have to go to it's very different to to something like a 10k it's both at the same time easier than running a 10k and harder but that's that's a conversation for another time yeah let's get through september's 10k hit that 45 sometime later in the year and then and then i'll have to decide what to do i already have some ideas but i'll talk to you about those at another point okay exciting i'm intrigued So secret runner, how has your training been this week in your return to normality after the COVID wedding tidal wave of chaos? Good, better, but not completely without drama. Uh, oh, no, drama's the wrong word. I had another wedding to go to back in the UK this week, so I kind of adapted my training plan to, to deal with that. It was a quick turnaround. It was like fly on the Friday late night so I could do a full day's training on the Friday still. Saturday didn't do any training and then Sunday it was fly home and was able to squeeze a, a one session in in the evening. So really I only missed one proper day uh, which would have been my rest day anyway. The downside is that it wasn't much of a rest day um, what with being at a wedding. So there's that but now I am back from that and I'm back into my full normal proper routine know where all my training grounds are, know all my bike routes, everything like that. It's nice. I can really just settle back into it. And I need to do that quickly because of, I think it's only like five or six weeks until race day now. So it's coming around quickly. I've naturally started to get those self-doubts about how ready I'm going to be, which is ridiculous because I've been training all year and then just to have missed like a week or two, doesn't ruin your entire fitness for the entire year so whilst I have those doubts like everyone else I, I, can, I also know it's silly to have them but it's difficult not to well it's not rational is it it's it's irrational yeah, exactly you've won titles before you've done these distances but yeah um, yeah fears and worries they're not rational no they're not and I and I know, I know as we discussed last week I know that I'm not going to be at my peak that doesn't matter. I want to get the most out of myself that I've got on that day. So, and then I'll be happy. That's all I ever want. So, yeah, I've been questioning myself this that, and the other, but at the same time, I'm uh, fairly happy and dismissive of all of that. Um, it's probably why it kind of related to, to those stories uh, that we spoke about earlier. Yeah, I'm just really looking forward now to getting a good solid three weeks. I'm doing a build period before I have another rest week. I'm like halfway through that that first week of build now. So I'm looking to just enjoying laying down some proper good sessions, really. So we'll see. Back to routine. Back to it. Looking forward to it. Give you more information on how it's going next week. How hard will you run up until race day? At what point 
do you have like an R and R the week before? So in an ideal world, what I'd do is I would finish my bill period, have an R and R, and then I would have what I would call two peak weeks, peak one and peak two, and that is more sort of like race specificity stuff as well. So similar to the build period. And then I would taper going into the race week. I'm still doing some really hard efforts in it, but the volume drops right down. But what you're not wanting to do at that point is let your body relax entirely. You still want to like, you still want it to be race ready. So you want it to be aware. You don't want it to switch off and lose focus. So you kind of like keep teasing your body with these short, sharp, hard efforts just to break a sweat so that come race day, the muscle memory is still there and it's ready and raring to go without being fatigued. Thanks everyone for listening and I will try and actually put links in the description like I always promise to don't forget to. And thank you very much, Secret Runner. Thanks, Pete. And thanks, everyone, for listening. I think our insights are telling us and showing us that we're actually getting some good listener numbers now. So this is a proper heartfelt thanks. So off you go. Stay motivated and go share your secret. <laughs>